Hi and welcome to Make Space for Nature from Nature Scott, the podcast that celebrates Scotland's nature and landscapes. I'm Kirsten Guthrie and in each episode I, along with my co-presenters and guests, will help you connect with and protect our amazing natural world. In this episode, Tim Hancocks and I speak to Alistair Rennie, Nature Scott's Dynamic Coast Project Manager and Geodiversity Advice Manager. He explains the link between climate change and coastal erosion, the importance of the Dynamic Coast Project, as well as ways we can all make more space for nature every day. Hi Alistair, welcome to the Make Space for Nature podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Great to be here. Good, good. Um, I'd like you just to give us a, a, a brief overview, really, of what, what you do with Nature Scott, please. So I'm one of these strange people who works away with different groups and different partners. For the last uh, seven or so years, I've been supporting the Scottish Government in a project that it's uh, running called Dynamic Coast. And uh, whilst I, I still work within Nature Scott and have a, um, a, a role within the organisation, um, I manage the project for the Scottish Government. And that basically is pulling together the available evidence base for coastal change across Scotland. And we've done that now for the last uh, seven or so years. And we've had two major publications during that period. And I've been responsible for for commissioning and managing that research and then getting it, getting it published. Uh, so that's what my day job is, is looking at maps, chatting to researchers, trying to understand what the future has in store for us. Brilliant. Thank you. That all sounds really interesting. Um, the, it kind of leads us on to talk about um, coastal erosion, um, which is really what we're, we're here to talk about, um, and climate change. Can you explain how the two are linked, please? So um, our project has looked at uh, Scotland's coastline, looked at the uh, location of different coastal types and society's assets. So we, obviously, uh, Scotland's got a huge coastline. It's a really, really, really long coastline, 21,000 kilometres of shoreline. And much of that is actually rocky and hard. And because of Scotland's great geology, it's really tough and resilient. And that's great, apart from the bits that aren't made up of uh, hard, solid rocks. And they're the soft shorelines or potentially erodible shorelines. And about 20% of our coastline uh, is is soft and potentially erodible. And, And... Intriguingly, the proportion of society's assets, our roads, our railways and our houses, um, there's a large number of of those assets that are protected by our natural, our soft natural defences and a a smaller proportion that are actually protected by sea walls. So when we add up the total value, there's £14.5 billion worth of roads, railways and uh, residential properties protected by our natural uh, coastal defences, our beaches and sand dunes. And um, there's only £5 billion worth that's protected by sea walls. So nature's really, really important in providing coastal protection and flood protection to the people of Scotland. And uh, our projects looked into that. Now, as we all know, sea levels are rising across the world and uh, the, the tide gauges across Scotland show that sea levels are rising here as well. That's leading to an increase in frequency of flooding. So floods are happening more often around the Scottish coast. 
And that's also leading to an increase in the amount of coastal erosion. So erosion happens when uh, sediment, sand and gravel is removed from our beaches and moved somewhere else. And what we've seen from comparing maps that date from the uh, 1890s, so 130-year-old maps, with modern-day maps, is that the, the rate of erosion is increasing. The amount of erosion, the extent of erosion, is also increasing. And as we look forward with climate change, that's set to increase. So sea levels are expected to rise over the coming decades and century, um, and that will lead to more erosion. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And, and we often talk about nature-based solutions. Um, and I just wondered what what are the ways that we can, or what are the ways to help reduce or prevent further coastal erosion? Um, and, and are there specific things that Nature Scott are doing about this? So Nature Scott has a a role where we understand and we try and inspire um, an appreciation of, of all things natural. Um, and that stretches across huge areas and huge subject areas. So some, of, uh, so some of the work we're doing is just drawing attention to the fact that actually nature provides, provides these wonderful services. Yeah? And we may not be aware of that. So when you're going on your holiday, you go to the beach, you're driving along roads, or perhaps your house is actually not far from the coast, then actually those services, those sand dunes and those beaches are, are holding out the sea and they're keeping um, erosion at bay often and they're providing flood protection. So these are really important services that are being provided to the public and we need to uh, firstly recognise them and then with that in mind, as we go forward, we need to manage those pressures and those risks um, uh, as best we can. And that's where Nature Scott is coming in, understanding uh, the, the important things that nature does for us, encouraging awareness of that and recognition of that, and then encouraging um, people to invest in nature, to take more care, to be inspired uh, and to appreciate what sometimes we've taken for granted. So when it comes to nature-based solutions, there are billions of pounds worth of assets that are being protected by nature today. And the first important thing we do is we make sure that we don't change that. We need to keep on investing in nature to make sure that all those things are still um, protected. We also, and this is where this work comes together, is we can then identify some of the weak points and some of the risks with how our beaches may change or how flood risk may also increase in different areas. And then working with our partners, we can better guide um, work to ensure that we plug those gaps and we manage those risks into the future. And there's some really good examples. So there's some work going on at the moment at Montrose, Montrose Links on the Angus coastline. Now, the, the, the links at Montrose, the sand dunes at Montrose, are eroding around two and a half metres per year. And the sand dunes provide a, a flood protection function. They keep the, the seawater, the floodwaters out. Um, but that dune ridge is narrowing through time. So we're working with Angus Council, um, uh, amongst others, to, to better understand that and then plug some of those gaps, raise up the land in some of those flood corridors so that the people at Montrose don't get flooded 
or are less likely to get flooded in the future um, by uh, making the sand dunes better and more resilient to future uh, to climate change and, and future pressures. Alistair, we often talk about the links between climate change and biodiversity loss, and you, you've touched there on you know the dangers of erosion in, in some of the sand dune areas, but of course there are also massive ecosystems that you know provide you know a homes for a huge amount of life that we don't want to lose as well. Yeah, and, and this goes to that broader point about just acknowledging the importance of nature. Um, our coastal sand dunes and salt marshes, they're great places for nature. They're great places for us as well. I'm sure all of us have benefited over the last few years of taking a walk on a beach or taking a walk in your local park. Green spaces are hugely important to us, and I think we've all recognised that through COVID. Uh, that, and, and understanding um, how these places can be better managed is, is what we're trying to do. So when it comes to uh, Nature Scott and how we manage our network of sites, these are helpful. Uh, our maps projecting into the future are, are a helpful guide to what nature wants to do. Of course, erosion is often a natural process. Um, so we need to plan ahead. And if we're going to lose a little corner of a protected site and we're going to gain a little bit further up the coast, then it's important we build that into our plans to make sure that we're, we're giving nature uh, a space and we're making space for nature ac across as wide an area as we can. We can then manage the network in the, in, in, with that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And from a, a purely a, a job point of view, you know, as, as um, upsetting and, and worrying as the, the, the speed that um, coastal erosion is, is happening due to climate change. Also very interesting, I'm sure, from you, from a mapping point of view, to, to see what's happening. Is there, is there anything that stands out for you that's, that's particularly alarming or worrying? So it's really interesting. I get this question a lot as far as the, isn't this really bad? And in some respects, that's an understandable question. Our work identifies, though, it's like a long-range sat-nav. It gives us the opportunity to look, at, look ahead on a current trajectory, a high emissions trajectory, and go, God, that's going to be, that's going to be disturbing and, and damaging. Or there's, a, there's, there's also research we've done on what a low emissions future looks like. So that's a, an easier path. Yes, there are some bumps ahead, but actually the dynamic coast work gives you that sat-nav. It gives you that long-range forecast that says, if we carry on the way we're going, then actually this is going to be really, really disturbing on a number of fronts. A low emissions future, there's a lot less extra erosion. Now, there's more erosion than there is today under all scenarios. But the low emissions future that we're all aiming for, that we're aiming for from COP and uh, from the Paris Agreement and all the other discussions that have been going on over the last few weeks... Uh, it's really, really important. It's something that we can all do. We can cut our emissions. We can call for emissions to be cut on a global scale. And our maps show the different futures that we have ahead of us. A high emissions future has a lot of disturbance, has a lot more erosion, has a lot more risk associated with it, and the costs. A low emissions future saves us quite a bit of money and it's really important and it will be far less disruptive. So this, I'm actually quite positive about this. As the technology and our modeling and our, the, the science is improving our understanding, it means that yes, the challenges are rising, but our ability to step up 
are also inc increasing. We can do things with our computers and our modeling now we couldn't have dreamt of 10 years ago. So there's plenty we can do and there's plenty that we must do. I think you've, you've answered my next question already, which was um, looking at the, you know, the, the positive spin of um, you know, what can be done. And you know, it's, it's not all doom and gloom. There, there is a way out. Thank, thanks to this kind of um, work and technology. Yeah, so, so one of the things that, that comes from that is if you happen to be a, um, a planner or a, or a decision maker or a boss who owns some land on the coast, then you need, to get, you need to look ahead and you see what the risks are happening. Now, we've done that at a national level and we've identified um, £1.2 billion worth of assets that are potentially at risk if we, if we don't manage these risks better. Now, that's on a high emissions scenario going forward. We can save £400 million on a low emissions scenario. Yeah? And these numbers are in the next 30 years. So at a, at a national level, we can save hundreds of millions of pounds if we cut our emissions quickly and if we get on to a low emissions future. Of course, most of us aren't business leaders or planners or government types. Yeah. So what can we all do? Well, we can take an interest in this. We can all, our maps show you the difference between a high emissions future and a low emissions future. You can see that for your own beach. If we all cut our emissions and if we call for those emissions to be cut globally, and if we're part of that huge transition that goes forward, we can make a difference and it, it will be better than it would otherwise be. Absolutely. I think that the Make Space for Nature campaign is all about encouraging people to really value nature, see what's on their doorstep, look after nature, you know, and, and care for everything that's going on out there. Um, is there we always have um, top, you know, 10, ten top tips uh, on our Make Space for Nature campaign each season to encourage people to really get out there and, and, and you know, take a real interest in, in stuff going on on their doorstep. Are there maybe just two ideas that you, you would suggest that people could build into their everyday life to maybe appreciate um, nature or specifically around, uh, you know, the kind of uh, around the coast, perhaps? Um, I mean, fundamentally, we can all... Our analysis shows that there's a better future ahead when it comes to coastal erosion, when it comes to coastal flooding. If we're, in a, if we're in a low emissions future. So the, the first simple thing that we can all do is we can be part of that change where we can all try and re uh, reduce our emissions. And I think that's the key thing. Alongside that, obviously, the adaptation needs to take place. We need to plan ahead and we need to be smart and we need to expect that. Yeah. So that's something that we can all try and, and look to do. Um, we can also take care of our local area and take an interest and I think that's the main thing I'd, I'd do encourage you to get out and enjoy and to take care of our special places um, Scotland is a wonderful country with wonderful wonderful scenery great communities and a wonderful tourism resource under our noses it's absolutely wonderful we need to take care of it though there are going to be a lot of changes in the future um, and making space for nature and making space for these changes is actually, that's the one thing that we need to do in the future. Because space and space for nature is actually one of the key things that we need to safeguard. And it's one of the key things in a Scottish context that we're, we're, um, we're so lucky to have. 
we have space in this country. Um, with, when we look around the rest of the, the UK and other European countries and other countries around the world, it's space is at a premium. And we have it here. We need to really safeguard it. And we need to make nature work better. And we need to look after nature and encourage nature and make, spacing, make space for nature is exactly the right approach that we need to, uh, we need to continue doing uh, in the years to come. And inspiring others to join us in that is critical as well. You, d- you did mention before um, before we began the recording that you, you had a careful look at the number of people who live near the coast um, during the hard lockdown for COVID. Um, do you want to share with us some of those findings? So it's interesting. We had, um, as we were, uh, yeah, remembering back to those days when we weren't really allowed out apart from for your short walk uh, and uh, that kind of stuff. We, uh, we occasionally get asked interesting questions from different people. I mean, we got one from the Scottish government, which was, which was intriguing. And it basically was they were doing a, a planning exercise to look at how much green space the population had within certain distances. And do we all have enough green space within five miles? And if we went to 10 miles, then would certain places get overcrowded? So the question was asked, where are all of Scotland's beaches and and how much capacity was there on those beaches for the resident population within five miles to all turn up? So we did some really quite cool analysis on uh, where the beaches were, the width of the beach at different tidal levels, so that we get we, we would get it right. We did, we'd have a number um, for when the beach got overcrowded at high tide, but it would be actually be a different a different number if the beach actually if the tide went out which of course it does um, the other half of the day um, so we ran around did lots of analysis and mapping and worked out that um, a lot, the vast majority of our beaches actually can absorb a, a, a very decent and very reasonable amount of proportion of their local population um, and uh, I think there were a few exceptions um, as you understand it's really funny when you think back five miles where I am up in the highlands um, is actually a fairly short distance. It it doesn't appear to be terribly close. And of course, five miles in Edinburgh takes across much of the city. And it was at that point in time we realised that actually the beaches of Portobello could could be accessed by a a large portion of the city of Edinburgh. Um, And obviously it's quite a narrow a narrow but lovely wee beach um, and it's a busy wee beach now if we compare that with some of the the big wide uh, beaches that we have up in the Dornoch Firth um, then obviously there's there's plenty of space the intriguing thing through all of this is actually how we have valued our beaches our parks our canals uh, and all the other little hidden places around the corner and it's given us all um, a breath of fresh air if nothing else and often um, given us the uh, the opportunity to to feel refreshed and to see some nature and and uh, be ready for the next day, which is uh, all important when we think about lockdown uh, and the months behind us and potentially the months ahead. Absolutely, I think everybody um, really appreciated uh, what, what is on their doorstep. Um, and I, I was going to lead on to ask. We always ask our experts what their um, kind of favourite nature-focused thing is, um, be it the mammals, the landscapes, the sea. Um, you know, whatever. What's your What's your favourite part of, of Scotland's varied biodiversity? I like getting out and about and heading down to the seashore. Uh, I, uh, the kids love it, and uh, the opportunity to go and fly a kite, go for a wander, take the dog, 
have a look round a wee corner at the coast um, and just experience different bits of our wonderful uh, landscape is, is absolutely key. Um, we are incredibly lucky with the, the geological inheritance that we have in Scotland. Scotland's landscape is, is you know, it's world beating. It's got some of the best and some of the most varied landscapes uh, all on our doorstep. Uh, and we should be rightly proud of that and encouraging folk to encourage, uh, enjoy it uh, and access it and, um, and make the most of it. Um, so from us scampering off to the West Coast, um, that's my special place. And the family, we're often out there uh, making the most of it. And uh, I'm sure everyone uh, has their own um, wee place that they go off to and, and recharge. Uh, for me, it's heading out to the, the Northwest Highlands and soaking in all of that lovely landscape uh, and the lovely nature on our doorstep. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Alistair. That's been really great to hear from you. And, and hopefully we'll head on the trajectory of your maps in the, the low emissions future so that we can continue to be a beautiful and inspiring country hopefully to the rest of the world that's great so yeah all the maps uh, and, and some some stuff to do with cop is all there on dynamiccoast.com so feel free to check it out uh, there's loads of videos and interactive maps as well so uh, lots to see and lots to do brilliant thank you for joining with us today thank you cheers thanks for listening if you're enjoying Make Space for Nature, we'd really appreciate if you could give it a follow in your podcast app and leave a review or a rating. We'd also love it if you could tell just one other person about it. If you'd like to find out more about how you can connect with and help protect Scotland's natural world, go to nature.scot.com.